0: People on, guest, on stage with me today are also head table guests, but for the sake of clarity and time, I thought I'd introduce them separately. So that we may proceed immediately into our discussion about the opportunities for all of Ontario and the world in northern Ontario. So to uh, my right and uh, your left, I uh, have the Mayor of Kenora, Ontario, and the Chair of the Northern Ontario Municipal Association, Mr. David Canfield. Got some homers in the crowd. That's good. Uh, the president of Area 1 Farms, Ms. Joelle Faulkner. The grand chief of the Muskegawa Council of First Nations, former mayor of Cochrane, former mayor of Sioux Lookout, and two-time Juno Award winner, Lawrence Martin. <laughs> and now to... Uh, My left and your right, the mayor of Capuscasing, Ontario, the chairman of the Federation of Northern Ontario Municipalities, Mr. (laughs) Alspachek. The founder and former CEO of Detour Gold, Mr. Gerald Penetton. (laughs) And finally, the president and CEO of the Ontario, Ontario Forest Industry Association and a former mayor of Timmins, by the way, Ms. Jamie Lim. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, the rest of our head table uh, is our distinguished panel. Now, if you'll excuse me for a moment, what I'm going to do is actually move. I'm going to moderate this event, but i cannot to not moderate it from here because uh, I really can't see uh, the guests. And really, this is d- about them and not me. So if you'll excuse me, I'm just going to move down to the moderator's position. We had a very spirited discussion this morning in preparation for this, so I'm quite looking <laughs> forward to all this. Uh, interesting having our group together from the north who agree on many things, who have uh, competitive opinions on others, um, and I think it's it's great to see uh, this, this group come together. So let me uh, sort of remind everybody here in the room about the format for today. I'll be asking each of our panelists to make a brief opening statement about uh, what they see of the opportunities for Ontario and, and why personally they're involved in Ontario, of northern Ontario, part of our province. It's, what's interesting about northern Ontario, for everybody to be reminded of, is that it represents 86% of Ontario's landmass and 6% of its population. So we're going to ask our panel why this part of the world is important to them. For our guests, both here at the Royal York and viewing our, our live webcast. Uh, I encourage you to post questions or comments on our Twitter wall, using the hashtag, uh, hashtag EmpireClub or #StateOfTheNorth, of the North, and uh, your question or comment will appear on the wall, and I've also got it on an iPad here, so I'll be able to see uh, any questions that come from the world or even our audience here. And at the conclusion, and at about, oh, let's say about 20 to 2, maybe a little shorter than that, Uh, We'll actually have some time for questions from the floor. So thank you very much. So let me first start with Mayor Canfield, and that is uh, what do you see as the opportunities for northern Ontario and and why is it so important
1: to you? Well, thank you, and thank you for the opportunity to be here and to speak to everybody and kind of bring our message from the north. But first off, I, I want to recognize one of my constituents. We did a little constituency work here earlier, the Honorable John Turner, who is a summer resident in Kenora, And as there for the same reason I am, and things that I'll talk about, because the love of the beauty of the of the area. There, another little bit of nostalgia here that Mr. Turner is quite aware of. Kenora is the smallest community in North America to ever win the Stanley Cup, and we are now we are now second only to the Toronto Maple Leafs. But I I think one of the the big things is, I mean, obviously, we're in in, in northern Ontario because uh, of the beauty. I mean, it's the the lifestyle, and and, and, and we love it so much. We've been there for generations. And um, and the the opportunity that we see now is, is because the world has changed so much, because the forest industry is is rebuilding in in a different way, but in a very exciting way with six-story wood frame buildings, is the fact that we are sitting on a massive amount of resources. And what we need to do is we need to make Uh, get these resources moving. Now, one of the things that happened back in the 70s, and I talked about a bit this morning, was uh, there was a huge influx of infrastructure by a man by the name of Leo Bernier, who was the first Minister of Northern Affairs, I believe, when they put airports into the far north communities, built resource access roads throughout northern Ontario to get into the resources and the pulp mills and the paper mills, and and, and started to expand and put in more machines and build more sawmills. So we're at phase two right now, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, and, and this this is going to be something that uh, Minister Gravel is going to provide for us in the future, is that next set of infrastructure that has to go in, and that's the the roads and the power lines for these communities to access these resources and move forward from there.
2: Thanks, Dave. Uh, Mayor Spachek. Uh, Thank you, Ted. And again, it's a pleasure and an honour to be here to promote Northern Ontario. Certainly, having been born and raised in Northern Ontario, uh, I see firsthand the opportunity. I've had the privilege of travelling this great province and country, and beyond its boundaries, and I know only too well the opportunity that's there. Now, Mayor Canfield uh, appropriately stated about we know about our resources that we have there, the forestry and mining sector. Uh, I think if I was to talk about something that maybe we are not so well known for is our potential when it comes to agriculture, and I'll speak more about that. Uh, Later, but certainly a great opportunity. We also have uh, a lot of resources in human resources, skilled labor. It's a great opportunity and it's largely untapped.
0: Thank you, Mayor. Uh, Ms. Faulkner, that's probably a good segue to you.
3: Uh, Area One Farms, to give you a bit of background. (coughs) partners with great Canadian farmers to build strong farms in our country. We operate in four provinces. We actually only work with one farmer in Ontario. Part of that is because what we focus on is really growing places where there's a lot of land redevelopment work to do, so bringing what was once historically farmed back into production. Northern Ontario represents the most significant opportunity for that in Canada, and uh, from what we've been able to tell, it actually represents one of the most significant opportunities for bringing agricultural land back into use in the world. So that caught our attention.
0: Thanks. Thank you, uh, Joelle. Uh, And uh, Grand Chief Martin.
4: The opportunity that I see as Grand Chief of seven communities up in Northern Ontario is to, uh, to watch what's happening in, in, in our territory, so to speak. And particularly in the Ring of Fire. So we, we try to find ourselves a place within this resource development that's going on. And so we start working with a group here, TGR group talking about putting a rail through a rail through James Bay, through the lowlands. And we also talked to our friends in, in uh, Hydro-Quebec and the Quebec Crees about bringing Quebec Hydro in from that side to be able to bring power to the Ring of Fire and also to the communities up there that don't have any kind of electricity except from the, from the uh, diesel operations. And we also talk about <clears throat> utilizing the James Bay, Hudson Bay waters as a seaport that can accommodate the transportation of all these goods, not only from the ring of fire, but I believe from the supplies that would be taken from the south to the north and, and elsewhere around the world. So, so we see this as a great opportunity for us and really happy to be part of something because our, my people, the Cree people, welcomed you know, the, uh, the Irish and the Scottish and the French and the English for over 400 years ago. And now it's it feels like it is time for us to get involved and we are happy to be involved we have treaties we have court cases we have everything that we don't want to get into but now it's time for business that's what we're here for thank you Lawrence
5: <sighs> <sighs> Mr. Panton. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, basically, mining was my bread and butter for the last 31 years, so of course I'm not going to be able to talk about forestry, agriculture, but I know one thing, the land mass, 86 uh, percent. The skilled people is a resource, and there's a lot of very good people up north. Uh, I, we lived in Valdor for 12 years. We developed the Detour Lake mine into a hell of a project. Uh, we work in our, with the Ontario government and federal government very well on this. We created value, we created jobs. Uh, 700 jobs directly, probably about 2,000 indirectly. The North has tremendous potential, but we need to develop more infrastructure. We need to support its development. And uh, I think this is a great panel to be able to discuss all the resources, which are very diversified, to eventually develop into uh, a development or economic development situation for the North.
0: Thank you, thank you, Mr. Penton and uh, Jamie, wrapping up on the Ted, uh, why, just, why uh, and all opportunities.
6: Thank you for uh, inviting OFIA here today to to speak. And I broke your first rule about acronyms, and I apologize. <laughs> but um, why is the North important to me? Uh, simply put, I um, I'm probably one of the only people in this room that can say that she lives in the two GTAs of t- of. Ontario. So I keep my home in the Greater Timmins area, and I have a cottage at Summerhill and Young in the Greater Toronto area. (laughs) And so I am a third generation citizen of Timmins, born and raised. I just finished uh, raising three members of the fourth generation, and you're going to be shocked when I tell you that uh, the greatest opportunity for Northern Ontario is the forest sector. It's a renewable resource. I know this is going to come as a shock, but trees grow. And our sector, with the right pragmatic public policy and support, can hopefully remain the second largest industrial sector in Ontario. We are a job creator supporting 170,000 hardworking families in Ontario in 260 communities. Right now, we have a study that shows Canada's forest sector can increase its economic activity um, by 60, no by 20 billion by 2020 and increase the greenest workforce by 60,000. Guess what? Everybody on this panel and everyone in Northern Ontario wants their share of that growth. And so that's why I get a little bit passionate about this, and that's why I'm so glad we're here today talking about the state of the north.
0: Thank you, Jane. I appreciate that. Uh, the uh, Premier Wynne has said we must look at interconnected metrics to run a good province for the benefit of everyone in the province. What's your advice to government on how to overcome the Singular focus of one ministry to perhaps the detriment of of many others, as as you've seen in the case of the North. Uh, I'd like to start. Maybe uh, I'll go back to you, Jamie. Start there.
6: Sure. Um, For the members of um, the forest sector, our greatest concern, I would say, is not necessarily with how ministries are interacting. It's more with the staffing in the premier's office. Uh, Some of the policy advisors in the Premier's office have incredibly strong relationships with radical environmental groups, environmental activists, environmental lobbyists. And I guess I want to um, have a distinction here. Everyone on this panel is an environmentalist. When you are raised and live in the North, you clearly grow up with such an incredible appreciation for natural resources. It not only is your bread and butter, it's where you play, it's where you live every day, every minute. And our appreciation is so profound. And so we're concerned because over the past 11 years that I've been with OFIA, we've had four ministers, one of them is with us today, that are from northern Ontario. They're northerners. They get it. And, and yet we see a lot of our strategies, a lot of our plans sort of go by the wayside. And so our concern is with the staffing there. We would like to see more balance in the Premier's office. We'd like to see some policy advisors that have clear Job creation backgrounds, not academic job creation, but like really manufacturing job creators in the premier's office.
0: This would say that's interesting because I think in uh, Premier Wynne's letters to every cabinet minister, uh, which were made public uh, for the first time, Uh, economic development is at the heart of every single ministry and their their job's correct. Yeah. Uh, Al, I'd like to. uh, uh, Oh, Al, you're over there. Sorry. Mayor Spachuk, please. Uh,
2: I think uh, in short, to make it simple, one point of contact would be very helpful to Northern Ontario. Uh, a government contact that uh, Michael is, is our champion at now and he's doing a great job of bringing together those resources, but we hear consistently that Ontario as a jurisdiction is sometimes viewed as a little complicated. And if there was one point of contact in, in the government to lead the projects through to, to fruition, uh, that would be helpful. I know Quebec, uh, Manitoba, Saskatchewan and have a similar model. Uh, so when you're looking at a major development or project in Ontario, uh, there is that one point of contact that leads you through the proper permitting to bureaucracy to get your project underway.
0: So that contact's not just in a ministry, but it ac- that would cover all
4: ministries. Exactly. Uh, Lawrence? What I find very interesting is that as uh, First Nations people get involved in the planning process with the province, say for land use mapping, for instance, and we bring our perspectives, our teachings, philosophies onto the table, and we'll bring our traditional ecological knowledge to the table, sometimes that clashes against the scientists from the province that work with them. So we have very interesting points of view that we have to overcome But I think that's the interesting part, is that when you're bringing a different group of people into into play at the table, there's there's bound to be different points of view, and that's what we're experiencing. As far as anything else goes, I think uh, policies, you know, uh, there are government policies to do this and that. But sometimes when you come start doing something or thinking about planning something outside of the box, it's not that easy to change those policies. And I go back to what I said earlier about I'm trying to bring in this power from Quebec. Okay, there's no policies in Ontario to accommodate an easy flow of that energy, not just for our communities, but also to the ring of fire. But I see these two ministers sitting here, and I know they're listening, and I know they're going to help me, Right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh,
0: David, what, what do you see as the? Uh, we've got these, this, all these ministries that have a, a
1: foothold in the north somehow? How can we get them to work together? Well, kind of a, a follow-up on, on what Lawrence said. It said. I think we're talking about connecting the dots, and, and, and the dots uh, span a, a huge area. Just to give you a geography lesson, um, the Northwest Ontario Municipal Association that I'm president of spans from Horn Payne to Kenora, which is well over 1,000 kilometres, and from Fort Francis to Pickle Lake and and on, about 60-some percent of the provincial landmass. A road trip, if I get in my car in Kenora and I drive west, I'm 1,900 kilometres from Queen's Park. If I drive west, I end up in Golden BC at 1,900 kilometres. That's three provinces. You're into the fourth. That's three planning acts. That's three legislative buildings. All making policy for them areas, and we have one at Queen's Park making policy for somebody 1,900 kilometres away or 1,000 kilometres straight north. It doesn't work. It can't work. You can't connect them dots. It's too big an area. That's what we have to change. We've been saying that for years, and it's not. I'm not pointing the finger at this government. I started in '91 in municipal politics. I've worked with three, all three parties, said the same thing to every one of them. They all said, you're right, one size does not fit all. We're going to change that. It's never happened. They have never changed it yet. So until they start including the municipalities, the First Nation communities in northwestern Ontario in the decision-making, in the land-use planning policies, and the resource-based policies, we can't win. But when we put this all together and you use the expertise of the people that walk the walk, then... It will boom. The north will boom. I don't know Toronto. I don't want to be involved in your land use planning. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be involved in the island airport planning. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. I know northwestern Ontario a lot better than the people that live here. We're just saying include us in the policies and it will work. Great. Um, Gerald,
0: <coughs> you've uh, invested a lot of money in the north. Uh, how is working with all the different ministries work for you?
5: Well. I think detours Lake was a bit of a special situation where there used to be a mine there before. So I guess with the mining lease and acquiring the mining titles was the first good thing we did a long time ago. So we secure our access to the surface right. So we didn't have to necessarily deal with the same things of somebody starting from scratch. Uh, Definitely is a big difference there. However, it doesn't mean that the government cannot be a little bit more proactive. You see, mining is a tough, business we're not going to go out of there but you know what Canada is a resource country Ontario is a lot of resource and if you want to develop your mining sector the government's going to have to help uh, it is diversified the resource in Northern Ontario um, you know there's plenty of them from forestry to agriculture to people but if you want to keep your skills if you want to keep Bay Street running with resource you need to start thinking about and try to help the exploration come back and the development, because currently there's probably very few dollars spent in exploration in Northern Ontario. Uh,
0: It's also a long curve between exploration and... Of course it is.
5: But do you want to react to ring of fire, which was discovered, say, five years ago, and may take ten years to build, Mm -hmm. or do you want to be proactive?
0: Thank you. Um, Now, it... Really almost the same kind of question, but you've talked, we've talked a little bit about the, uh, all the different ministries in government. That's just one thing, though. It's, I'd like to get a comment. Of, you, know, you said about these great opportunities, such as lots of infrastructure that you're looking at, uh, agriculture, um, for, forestry, uh, great expansion opportunities in the north. What, what other barriers are there? What's, what's preventing these opportunities from happening? Um, I, I'd like to start with Lawrence on that.
4: Barriers? <clears throat> humans. <laughs> yeah. It's just the humans that are the barriers. And a lot of it, I guess, uh, we now, in my case, and I keep going back to where I come from, who I am, because we're new players in the business. We're new players in government. And we want to be able to come forth and, and bring our ideas in. So... There's a lot of uh, struggle with that, and because Canada is made of um, so many treaties across the country, it's complicated in terms of that relationship with ourselves, with the treaties, and also with the provinces. The province of Ontario, especially in the last few years, has been really good to us. We've been able to work very progressively, and even though Canada hasn't really been there. So I think it's you know that part, not knowing your country, not knowing the history, It's been a real barrier to a lot of people, understanding. And, of course, certainty is another question. There's a lot of uh, certainty issues with First Nations. And those are the things we're trying to overcome, trying to deal with them so that we understand business, we participate in in a good way, and that we also benefit from it. And I think that's, that's the big change that's happening. We don't want to be spending a lot of time in the courtrooms. We want to spend time in the boardrooms.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Chief. Um, I won't ask you to hold your applause at the end because we're all saying good things.
6: Um,
0: uh, Joel, uh, you know, people have—you know—you've sort of introduced agriculture to this discussion, uh, and I don't think we in the South, Southerners like me, ever think of anything growing up there um, in those northern communities. So, what are the barriers other than our, maybe our mindset uh, on that?
3: Some of it has been resetting the mindset. Um, The barriers, if we look at it, are largely from government, the ones are procedural. So we actually have a lot of the policies that would make uh, agricultural development very possible. But in how those policies are actually administered, they don't allow for security, um, predictability, or consistency around building large-scale farms. Uh, The second one... uh, is kind of how we look at at then the ministries working together. So some of your thinking around whether ministries can work together and how you make that happen. If you look at our model, we've recreated how farmers and investors actually partner. And the best article that I can look at for how we've done that is one by Michael Porter that talks about shared value. And that essentially says that we're not dividing a pie, we're growing a pie. And I think that's really the case here. About a million acres of land has been lost to urbanization in Ontario in the last decade alone. And that amount was also an amount that was farmed at one point in northern Ontario. So redevelopment of that land base is a totally practical solution to help with um, the kind of the world's food needs and, and Ontario food security on its own. And I would have, about a year ago, told you that the barrier was going to be capital, but through what we've been able to do in other provinces, we can actually now bring capital to the table for this particular project. And so actually getting down to figuring out with partnerships, First Nations, uh, municipalities, the provincial government, and the various ministries involved in all the parts of the process to bring land into agricultural production is a really big step. And the barriers are, in my mind, pretty small.
0: Great. Exciting. Jamie.
6: Thanks. Um, In our sector, in order to grow this renewable resource and and capture all this economic activity, um, we need two things. We need consistent access to affordable fibre, and we need customers. And so we see the barriers right now as um, bad public policy, and by that, I mean provincial policy that's passed before um, their socioeconomic impact analysis done, so, and, and scientific due diligence. So that's a huge concern for us, because this bad public policy keeps coming out. And every time it comes out, it shrinks the fiber basket. Less wood means less jobs, less economic opportunity. Um, so that's number one. Number two would be the um, arbitrary misinformed bullying campaigns uh, by job destroyers. Uh, job destroyers groups like Greenpeace and other lobbyists that meet with, uh, they target customers of uh, the forest product sector and convince them not to buy products sourced from Ontario's Boreal forest. Uh, These are arbitrary campaigns launched on misinformation, uh, often uh, resulting in apologies that have to be made. And uh, we are looking uh, for for government leadership. I I believe it is starting with Minister Morrow. He's already made first steps in this area. But uh, the Premier in Quebec just last month went on uh, CBC Radio, and I'll read his quote. Uh, The Premier of Quebec said, and I quote, If the goal of some is to ensure that there is no logging of the boreal forest in Quebec, they can forget it. There will be responsible, durable use of the boreal forest in Quebec. Second, if the objective is to protect the woodland caribou by eliminating hundreds of jobs, it will not happen. So I think this is the kind of support, you know, I mean, often when I say the word support, people think we're looking for money. We're looking for that kind of support, you know, for for leaders to stand up and say, we're not going to turn the Boreal Forest into a park.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, And uh, if you could speak a little more directly next time, I would appreciate that, (laughs) because you're having a little trouble understanding what your position is. Uh, Mayor Canfield.
1: Yeah, a good follow-up. I mean, some of the, the, the challenges that we see, and, and, and me and and our organizations have been fighting this for some time, is, is, again, the non-government organizations, the Greenpeace of the World, the Rainforest Action Network, no matter who it is. And, and these people have, have had such a huge impact on policy for Northern Ontario. They live in California. They've done a great job down there. And they're implementing policy in the province of Ontario when they've never walked the walk. One of the biggest challenges we have is trying to clarify that misinformation. If you're telling people in Toronto and around here, you've got millions of people, and if you tell them cutting trees is a bad thing, they're probably going to believe you because they think it is. And the thing is, how do we educate them? How does that 6% of the population in Northern Ontario that knows better, that actually knows the real science and actually knows what trees really do, how do you get that message across? And I want to go a bit into the solution. I know you're looking at the barriers, but part of the barrier here, here is one of the solutions, and that's trees are the answer. And Patrick Moore, the founder of Greenpeace, who wrote that book, The thing is trees sequester carbon from about 20 years to 80 years old and emit oxygen. Twenty-year-old trees give off a lot of oxygen. Once they hit 80 years old, basically their life cycle is done. The ancient forest that the environmentalists will talk about of northern Ontario, there's no such thing. It's a 100 to 150-year time forest. It will go down with forest fire with bugs or beetle, it'll die. All that carbon goes back in the atmosphere. So we're talking a lot about climate change, and Glenn Murray made a presentation to the AMO board last Friday. I said, if you're serious about climate change and you really want to do something about it because we're not carbon neutral, the environmentalists say it's okay for a forest to burn because another one grows as carbon neutral. We don't live in a carbon neutral world. I'm sure most of you here drive a vehicle. So the thing is, trees are the answer. If we cut more trees and plant more trees, sequester that carbon at about 100 years old before it gets back into the atmosphere through a forest fire or through a blowdown or through a bug kill, then you're going to be serious about climate change. That's one of the answers. You know, we quit burning coal in Ontario, I guess at the end of last year, because coal emits carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, so we quit burning it but yet some years we burn more forests than we cut that do the same thing, and they don't even produce energy.
6: Ted, can I just add something for context?
1: Sure. Uh, Because
6: I I forget where I'm talking, and so to me it's it's just natural, but I don't want people leaving here thinking that, you know, Ontario's forest sector is clear-cutting and like there isn't a tree left in northern Ontario. So to set everyone at ease... The last time we took a head count, there's about 85 billion trees in the province, give or take a couple. And our sector harvests annually 0.5%. So think about that, 0.5%. And with that 0.5, we support 170,000 hardworking citizens in 260 communities. That's not a bad return.
0: Great, Jamie. Uh, Al, uh, Mayor Spachek, I'll give you the last word on this question about bears.
2: Thank you, Ted. And Jamie finished off with what was going to be my opening statement, so I'll just simply add to that we harvest uh, these trees, and we, on average, when we harvest one tree, we plant three to replace it. Uh, we have a long history of being good environmental stewards. Uh, we live there, we've lived there for generations. I have to, though, mention that it really is, and it's been mentioned time and time again here, but I think our, uh, our biggest challenge are the environmental groups and the population outside of northern Ontario. They don't have any concept of, of uh, what we are doing in terms of our economy. It is a challenge, and I think it would be helpful if the senior levels of government were more vocal about uh, the opportunity, the uh, fact that we adhere to some of the highest environmental standards in the world, especially in forestry, uh, that would be helpful, because right now they're just hearing it from two groups. They're hearing it from the environmental groups who are targeting the customers of our forestry companies, and then they hear the dialogue back and forth from the forestry company. Uh, but there is a good news story out there, and it needs to be told by the more credible uh, members, maybe, of society such as the senior levels of government.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Mayor spatching um, let's move on to the subject of energy and power production in Northern Ontario. Um, you know, there's, there's there's power plants in uh, well, all across Northern Ontario: uh, Cochrane, uh Anticoke and Kirkland Lake. How do you view the government's understanding of the importance of power plants in the north, in, in particular how critical they are to local economies, other than just about power and electricity? Um, I'd like to start with Gerard, because I know you have some opinions on energy in the north.
5: Well, I, I think power is at the essence of basically opening the ground. It's a gateway. If you have more power supply you, and cheaper power, of course, that doesn't have to travel from, from Bruce or from southern Ontario. The whole Ontario grid is all connected altogether. I mean, the electricity that you buy at Detroit Lake can come from many different places in Ontario, depending on the demand and somebody is networking it, but there's a cost to that. And I think if we want to develop the North and demonstrate that there's cheaper electricity there, we should definitely look into a strategy of developing the power in the North, because this will be opening up more mills, uh, more transformation, more industry. You already have the railroad. Uh, I'm not sure if people understand why is the North already exist previous to mining in Ontario. The railroad, which was an investment in the 19th century to open up the ground, in the clay belt, which became an agriculture where a million acres started. That's how you open new ground, by investing into something that will be sustainable and renewable, like power. That's one of the resources that is not tapped in the North, and I think this should be definitely looked at in terms of strategy.
0: Thank you, Jareb. Jamie, What's your view on, on government in this? And, and I mean, as a, also you were a former mayor uh, of, of Timmins, so you probably have a very good uh, position on this.
6: Well, um, just this past February, OFIA, um, our association, wrote to six ministers, for example, supporting non-utility generators in the province, and specifically requesting that the Cochrane Power Facility, uh, their current agreement, be extended because there's so much uncertainty. And uncertainty is the one thing you never want in business. And the reason we're so supportive of that non-utility generator, and I should mention, Mayor Politis from Cochrane is in the room. So Peter, I hope I'm not saying anything out of school. But um, for our sector, we rely on a non-utility generator like uh, the Cochrane Power Facility because that's who takes all of our residual value from our mills. We're a highly integrated sector, and we rely on being able to sell our residual value, our waste bark, our biomass, to nugs, sorry acronym. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's critical that those non-utility generators who have been existing and providing power for generations um, have some certainty, because the lack of certainty that they have only creates more uncertainty for our sector.
0: And it is a bit of irony as we look for power, places to produce power, the willing hosts like Cochrane and other communities that are just uh, ready, willing, and able. uh, Mayor Spachek, your comments, please.
2: Well, I think uh, I'll use an example that occurred just within the, the, the past week where uh, the provincial government some years back rolled out a program uh, to open up water power potential water power sites in northern Ontario. They went through a process. There was a company that was very successful in doing that called Xenica Power, and this past Tuesday, after a number of years of, of trying to develop those uh, sites, have announced that they are going to uh, pull out of that project. Uh, that was 14. Uh, hydro sites, amounting to almost $300 million worth of investment, and uh, they couldn't seem to get through the process. And I go back to my comment earlier about having one point of contact in, in the government to n- navigate through the process. So one arm of the government's awarded the the power purchase agreement and the, uh, released the sites, and now they have to deal with the other uh, arms of government in getting through the permitting process. So clearly something's broken, and we need to address that. Uh, I, I think that there's, there's great opportunity there. There's still uh, lots of um, development opportunities in the north. I know that in Ontario's long-term energy plan, they uh, acknowledge that there's over 10,000 megawatts Available to be developed in northern Ontario, and to give you some perspective, a nuclear generator generates somewhere between 5 and 700, 800 megawatts. So the average output from a, from a nuclear generator is around 700. So we have 10 to 12,000 megawatts available to generate in clean, renewable hydroelectric energy. But we need to sort the process out a little bit in terms of achieving that.
0: <coughs> that's actually equal to like three uh, Niagara Falls generators. That's correct. Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. Um, the you know, as, as a group, you've very well expressed a lot of opportunities in the North to our audience here and, and articulated some of the barriers. I'm hearing a lot about infrastructure. I'm hearing a lot about um, usually organizations get in their their own way in their thinking, uh, paralysis by analysis kind of thing. Um, I know, uh, Jamie, you've talked about how the fact that there's lots of plans, right, in, in place uh, on, on the North, lots of study
6: Yes, there's lots of strategies, lots of growth plans, Um, you know, and I I certainly echo Mayor Dave and and Mayor Al with their ask for someone who can act on behalf of industry and sort of streamline the process. Mm -hmm. Um, Every time we've asked for this, You know, I can remember out of Minister Ramsey's uh, uh, report back in 2005, we asked for process streamlining, and we got more process. So I'm always afraid of what we ask for. So open for business hasn't opened business us. It hasn't made it easier. And I think you can't ask the same people that have created maybe some of the issues to solve the issues. So I, when, when I hear them asking for one person, one, one place to go, mm. one, one stop, you know, I think it has to be like a business commissioner. So this province has an environmental commissioner. I think you need an arm's length business commissioner. Um, that can get things rolling again.
0: Would that be for just Northern Ontario or all of Ontario?
6: Oh, I, I include everybody. I two GTAs, right? <laughs> I've, I've got a foot in both parts of the province. So
0: it's a big lake um, down here, lake, <laughs> lake in Are our you at
6: barriers, or did you just want the, that?
0: Well, that was that, that. No, that was that was fine. That the, um, the the question that I also wanted to get at was, you know, you talk uh, another example which I'd like you to comment on because we, we're, we're doing well on time here is. Uh, The Far North Act, which I find this is an interesting title given that the 49th parallel actually splits Ontario (coughs) and half of it goes through, half of northern Ontario is just above the 49th parallel, half of it is below. I think actually Winnipeg is further north than northern Ontario, yet we're calling the act the Far North Act uh, and the process thereof. I know you had some comments, Lawrence, on that.
4: 49th parallel. Did you know that Treaty 9 encompasses two-thirds of the province? Two-thirds of the province is Treaty 9. We have 49 communities within that, which includes 49th and other numbers. But the point is, uh, you know, a lot of times we don't realize what's, what's happening in this country, definitely what's happening in the province. So it gets me a little upset when we as First Nations don't get opportunity to participate and all these plans that we're talking about here, we never get a chance to do it. But now I think because of what's the need, you know, is so great in our communities, we have to get involved. So now we want to be able to take a look at what's happening. And, you know, for us to come in and say, well, we you know this hydropower from Ontario Hydro is wonderful, but it's very costly. So we look at something else instead. Is that is that okay to do? Can we think outside of the box? Because when you look at Northern Ontario, as all these remote First Nation communities. There are 49 of them. They all have little airports. They have no road access except in the winter time. So we have to take a look at that and say, oh, yeah, there's all these people living there. We have to include them. So any other plans from here on in just have to include our people because we have needs and we have many things that we can contribute as well in terms of how we treat the land and how we treat the animals and how we do all these environmental studies and so that the industry that comes in doesn't destroy things and to have just people cutting trees, there are stories, ceremonies to trees. There's life in all of this. So we want to bring that to the table and at the same time, keep in mind, cost is a factor in terms of how we do business. So we want to look at it from a practical perspective as well.
0: Great, thank you. Now, um, all these opportunities, all these barriers, ways to overcome them you've identified. So I'd like each of you to, to tell our audience, what do you think government has to do? What do you think others have to do? And what are you going to do to make all these opportunities happen? I'll start with you, Dave.
1: Well, I guess this is the, this is the challenge time and it's a pretty easy challenge. Minister Gravel is sitting right here. Um, he's a great friend. He's very passionate. He is now the Minister of Northern Development Mines and Minister responsible for Northern Ontario. And as passionate as Minister Gravel is on knowing that, as I talked earlier about Leo Bernier, the King of the North, and the first phase of development that happened that opened up, and, and the industry followed it, mills expanded, sawmills popped up, mining opportunities popped up, we're right now where we need phase two of infrastructure into northern ontario to connect these communities now by roads and by power lines not just by airports so i know that minister gravel is passionate about this i know we've got minister morrow minister murray minister orzetti minister leal that are very very keen and interested in being on that team and uh What we're going to do as representing Northern Ontario, myself and Mayor Spachak and and our organizations and our our mayors and our communities and working with the First Nation communities, we've we've built a lot of bridges there over the last 15 or so years, is to sit down um, with our new King of the North and to sit down and plan out them infrastructure needs. But have us people involved in the planning, and I'll I'll give you a real good example that goes back to the energy question. When you asked about the energy question, I was going to pop in, I didn't. The Northwest Ontario Municipal Association has an energy task force. It's made up of volunteers. Some of these people are very smart people, but they're volunteers. We don't get paid for that. We do it out of the goodness of our heart because for the love of our community. The OPA, the Ontario Power Authority, pardon me for the acronym, does the same thing. We both did a paper on energy needs, future energy needs up to 2030 in Northern Ontario, specifically Northwestern Ontario for our purpose. We were that far apart. These people down here make a lot of money to do planning, energy planning. We make nothing. Guess who was right? The volunteers From our organization, we're almost dead on what we will need for energy resources in the future. The people down here planning, making a lot of money, being paid a lot of money to do it, were wrong. Every time we met, the gap kept getting smaller. Minister Gravel, tell me if I'm wrong. At the end of the day, guess what? We didn't move very far on our energy task force. They moved a long way. That's what I'm saying. Until you walk the walk, until you know... Because you live there, and you live it, you work it, and you love it. If we're not part of the solution, then Toronto is going to be part of the problem.
0: Thank you. Thank you, sir. The, uh, I'm going to ask Gerald Penton What would you tell government, what would you have others do, and what would you do yourself to make these opportunities? All three. Or pick, or pick one, your choice.
5: Well, I think, I think some of the very good points that were discussed by everyone around the panel this morning and around this lunchtime is, uh, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of work that has been done. There's a lot of work that needs to be put forward. I think there's development strategy that should be done by a team from, from the north. Maybe we can call them the 49ers. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think this, It'll work. Yeah, it may work.
6: As long as it's bilingual.
5: Of course, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I think uh, in concert with with the interests of the government, eliminating uncertainties, nobody is going to invest if there is uncertainties. Every project will go up and lift up if there is no more uncertainties as long as they are, you can fight them. so I think if if there are um, uh, if there are names to be leaders to lead this and develop a strategy to develop the North, it needs to be done in concert because it's very diversified, and we need to have everybody on board, especially the First Nation, especially everyone around the, the, the North who lives there in, in the North. And then you can represent yourself and make sure Mr. Greville gets reelected again. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, what, what, what would you... Uh Well, I think in
6: order for the North to um, get its share of the $20 billion in economic activity that's coming down here in the the country, uh, we need government to hit the pause button on all policy that would impact the wood supply in this province until clear and transparent economic impact analysis has been conducted. We need the government to place a moratorium on all caribou policy until a scientific study can validate the relationship between disturbance and population growth. MNR um, just spent $11 million collecting data over the last three years, and that data clearly demonstrates that the two caribou ecotype theory may no longer be valid. So so that's why we're asking for a moratorium. And lastly, we we need government to strike a working group with an objective of reaching 2004 harvest levels and direct jobs of 95,000. So right now we're at about 57,000. We were at 95 before the recession. There's no reason we can't get there again. And in Quebec just last month, five mayors struck um, a new alliance called the Boreal Forest Alliance. Uh, The Premier of Quebec has endorsed it. And again, their objective is this transparent economic um, uh, analysis, as well as more data on caribou, because it is shrinking the wood supply. And as I said earlier, it's really simple. Less wood, less jobs.
0: Okay. Um, Grand Chief Lawrence Martin. Uh, First Nations have a huge role to play. What what, what are you, uh, the people you represent and and other First Nations, what, what what, what is your your people have to do to realize these opportunities?
4: Well, the first thing I have to do is write a song called The Ring of Fizzle.
6: <laughs> 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 and um, take a look at... Uh, That's
0: <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you have a Junior Award winner.
4: What I, what I have to do <laughs> is ask the government to work with our First Nations and to make the pie bigger. You know, we talk about these opportunities, but sometimes the opportunities are just too narrow. We have to make the pie bigger so that it includes areas such as in in our area where I come from, Meshkéguac area, which is James Bay, Hudson Bay. When we've been talking about the Ring of Fire for the last five years, Meshkéguac's part in all this was non-existent. We had to find a way to come in. And there was some concern. There may be some environmental issues we have to deal with because we're all downriver from all this development. And our EA uh, reports show, yes, there will be impacts. And we'll get a couple of monitoring jobs out of that. But we wanted to play a bigger part. So we, we started looking at how do we come in, not begging, but to actually propose in business ideas. So this is where this real idea came in. And the seaport and this energy from Quebec I keep mentioning, this is how we want to play. So we're deciding how to play it instead of being asked or even ignored. So we have a, a specific thing, and the communities, uh, not only in Meshkéguag, but in Matawa, we've been talking about how do we work together, because they also need infrastructure. They need water and sewer and houses and they need electrification in their communities and they want it now. You know, although there's a lot of power in the province as, as as was said, it takes a lot of time and costs a lot of money. Many of our communities are suffering, elders are suffering, they can hardly pay for the rent or pay for the hydro because the cost is just too high. But is it possible that by working with another power energy source from Quebec in this case? Is that something we can actually help our people, help the industry, and as well help the relationships? You know, mentioned something was mentioned about what's going on in Quebec. Well, it's the cheapest power in the country. Why can't we work with them bringing that power here?
0: Thank, thank you, Lawrence. I think, you know, the whole concept of uh, our First Nations communities has gone diesel. diesel generation uh, is a disgrace, and we need to fix that right away. Where power flows... Uh, people grow. Uh, it's been proven over and over. We don't need we don't need a study to prove that. Um, what I'd like to do now we're going to qu- open it up the floor for questions. And, and uh, while uh, our uh, uh, the, uh, we have some people helping us, they'll have a couple volunteers. That uh, if you stand up and ask a question, they will um, bring the microphone to you. Uh, while we're just getting set up for that, I'm going to ask each of our panelists to answer this one question, sort in summary, and that is here in Ontario. What is the state of the North? Um, I'm going to start with Gerard.
5: <laughs> you like my answer this morning?
0: <laughs> oh, I don't remember it. Stalled. Stalled.
5: Yeah, it needs, uh, it needs injection of capital. It needs support. It needs a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Jamie? Because it looks stalled. Um,
6: I would say Promising but uncertain mm-hmm. and in great need of pragmatic provincial policy that wholeheartedly supports uh, the continued sustainable use of Ontario's renewable resource mm-hmm. and also includes, and I know I'm <laughs> starting to sound like a broken record, but you can see how much we need this, transparent socioeconomic impact analysis.
2: All right. Uh, Mayor Spachek. Uh I think, uh, in short, it's uh, collaboration Uh, I think the Far North Act that you referred to earlier was our wake-up call Uh, when we woke up one morning and our First Nations neighbours and communities uh, read about the Far North Act in the paper. uh, Something we hadn't been involved with, we took that as a message that we needed to organise. We can no longer operate in independent uh, community or or economic silos. And uh, we've made some real inroads in that regard. Uh, Northeastern and northwestern Ontario, when First Nations community, NAN, Anishinaabegaski Nation are working very closely together to get our house in order in terms of communicating that we have a real story in Northern Ontario. And I think it's important to state that you heard about some challenges here, but there's we can't overstate the economic opportunity up there. And it will certainly uh, be a big boon to the province. I've often liked to coin the phrase that if Ontario is supposed to be the economic engine of Canada, the fuel for that engine is in Northern Ontario. And uh, I think there's, you're going to see some real uh, progress in that way. It's important to point out that uh, this current ad- provincial administration, I think there's a willingness to do that. Premier Wynne has been a uh, champion uh, of northern Ontario, and you mentioned some cabinet ministers earlier. Uh, They are certainly on board, but uh, the most important player in that team is also on board, board, and I think that's a very positive step. We have some good things to look forward to.
0: You should run for a high office because that was the longest one sentence I've ever heard. But well done, (laughs) but well said. Uh, Mayor Canfield, Uh, what is the State
1: of the North? The State of the North is, is, is phenomenal. It is ripe for investment. We have... An unbelievable amount of sustainable resources. All we need is the infrastructure to make it happen, and you've heard that consistently all day.
0: Joelle, what is the state of the North?
3: I think it could be a new heart of Canadian agriculture, and it wouldn't take a lot of work, but it would take work together to get it there.
4: Thank you. And Grand Chief. I'm feeling very optimistic. This is why we keep developing these uh, infrastructure corridor plans in Hydro, Rail, Seaport, just in case somebody does push that button at the ring of fire and things are starting to move. And I'm optimistic also because we always have opportunities to develop partnerships. We sign MOUs to work together. We just signed an MOU with the City of Timmins, in the hopes that we'll have a smelter in Timmins, that, and then our, our rail system is going to be the one bringing the ore down to Timmins and create jobs as a partnership with them and our First Nations in the area. So I'm totally optimistic about that, <clears throat> and as well seeing the, uh, the possible savings that the province would have and being able to work with us in these projects. Great. Thank you.
0: Now, do we have questions from the floor anywhere? Yes, yes. Mr. Mayor, Mayor Politis, <laughs> thank you.
7: So why don't I kick it off? I want to thank the panel for this uh, excellent discussion on an important issue, and I think this should be a regular feature of the Toronto business community on an annual basis to hear from the north. It's an important audience, although I'm not from the north, I've learned a lot today, and I think it's great. Um, one of the organizations I work with is the Ontario Association of Community Futures Development Corporations, and uh, they have a huge network of development corporations in the north that are working with communities. And particularly important is the business community and the municipalities. I'd like to just ask maybe the panel to comment on their thoughts on how we build that relationship between the business community, municipalities, and economic development corporations, the particularly community futures development corporations that are based in Northern Ontario to help get your message out and uh, help build Northern Ontario.
1: If, if I can start that uh, because that process in Northwestern Ontario has already started. Uh, we have our Northwest Ontario Municipal Association AGM, which is the 22nd, 24th of April in Thunder Bay. We also have a fall conference that is actually a joint venture between NOMA and the development corporations and the Northwest uh, Chambers of Commerce. So we have started that and uh, bring in um, very interesting speakers um, to speak to all of us. So we, we've, we've connected them dots. Um, we're good at connecting dots in Northern Ontario. We haven't been successful in connecting all of them dots across the province.
6: You're
8: not going to have the whole panel that just the one. Mayor Peter Politis uh, the Town of Cochrane, uh, hello everybody, I'm really happy to be here and I'm really excited about the opportunity that the uh, Empire Club has put on for everybody to realize what we in Northern Ontario realize, which is what the vast potential that exists in Northern Ontario is, and this the beautiful way of life that exists there for what we often say is the greatest way of life in the best backyard of the planet. Um, I would also qualify that, however, to say that what a shame that in 2015 we still have all that potential sitting in Northern Ontario hundred years ago, the legislature here, the government itself set out to realize that a potential and recognized the frontier that was there. And certainly if Northern Ontario isn't the last frontier in Canada right now, it is certainly one of the last frontiers. So I have a bit of a statement and then a quick question uh, to follow up. Um, I've often said that capitalism is, is buying two cows, multiplying them into 40 cows, selling those cows and retiring. But you still have to buy the two cows. And if you don't get the concept in capitalism of investing the money to make money down the road, then you don't make that money. And the problem with Northern Ontario, if I can offer a suggestion, is a big part of the challenge for us is investment. And you've heard that from a lot of the panelists here right now. We haven't put the investment in place to realize the potential that exists here. We haven't invested in enough roads, we haven't invested enough rail, we haven't invested enough IT infrastructure, we haven't invested enough critical infrastructure to attract the money from all over the world to be invested in Northern Ontario. And a perfect example of that is the Ring of Fire. If the investment had taken place that that this part of the province set out to do 100 years ago in Northern Ontario, the Ring of Fire would be working right now. But that infrastructure isn't there, and we're still trying to find ways to get past a lot of the bureaucracy to get to the to the results and the the challenges that exist in industry. So investment is key, and I think also if I can suggest I agree with a lot of the panelists who talked about planning. We're missing out on one of the key elements of driving any development opportunity, and that's planning. Where is the plan? That doesn't involve one sector or the other, but where is the plan that involves the government, that involves the leaders in Northern Ontario, that involves the industry, that involves the First Nation community, that involves everybody who has a vested interest to see that investment come to fruition? Where is that plan? And that's a key element for us to move forward. So my question to the panel is, quite simply, what is your vision? for Northern Ontario 20 years from now. We cannot have a plan if we don't have a vision. And when we have the vision, the plan is the roadmap to that vision. So I would like to hear from the panelists, and yourself included, Ted, what is the vision? Where do you see Northern Ontario 20 years from now?
0: Okay, we're gonna answer that as quickly as we can, given our time limits today, because I think the vision has actually been quite expressed by a lot. Uh, I'm gonna ask uh, three panelists to, to do that. I'm gonna ask Joelle, I'm gonna ask, Al, and I'm going to ask Gerard. Okay. So, Joelle, what's your what's your vision for the next 20 years?
3: So, you looking at Canada or at, uh, Northern Ontario as being one of the last frontiers, and I would say it's a new farming frontier for this province, this country, and the world at large, which has more people eating than ever before, more quantities of food consumed. And we're actually one of the very few places where agriculture is completely sustainable on the basis of water, which is one thing very rare in a lot of other parts of the world.
2: Thank you. Uh, Mayor Spachuk. Thank you. I I think in 20 years you'll see a very competitive and modern forest uh, industry. You'll see a a continuation of the expansion in the mining sector, responsible mining uh, operations going on. But I think the, the new player will be, as uh, Joelle started with, is going to be agriculture. We have a phenomenal amount of uh, land up there. In our little area between Capascasing and Timmins, as an example, uh, we recently did a land inventory. And uh, as uh, Gerard uh, mentioned earlier, when the railway came through, the federal government started a program to settle northern Ontario through an agricultural initiative. And an industry came in, and, and they went for the richer jobs. But as a result of that initiative, we identified there's a million acres of vacant Class 3, Class 4 agricultural land. So that's not forestry land, that's not Crown land, that's a million acres of land that's available uh, for agricultural opportunities in just that little area in pocket of northern Ontario. So we have the opportunity, I think, to start uh, feeding the Ontario and the world. You may know that uh, Ontario imports 40% of its meat, uh, and uh, I think we are going to play a big role in filling some of the voids there. There's no more uh, agricultural opportunities in southern Ontario, it's go north, young man. Yes. Uh, Gerard?
6: And I'm taking Gerard. I'm the new oh. Gerard. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> um, 20 years Jamie, you're now, so shy. I, I just wish you would uh, I know. I've got I've to <laughs> work on that. Um, right now, we're the second largest uh, industry sector operating in Ontario. In 20 years, we're going to be the largest industry sector operating in Ontario. And um, the one thing I know about the people in the north And the one thing I know why we're still here is because we're persistent. And I'd like to read one of my members' quotes, a family-run operation. We've weathered recessions and depressions, world wars, and fires, but our passion and commitment to sustainable forestry has never abated. For me, sustainability is not just a buzzword. It means that I have a responsibility to ensure that the forest is taken care of so that my kids, can be the sixth generation to sustainably harvest timber from Ontario. Well, I want you to know that I know the mayors that I've worked with, my member companies, are going to make sure that we do everything we can so that in 20 years, Jamie McRae's sixth generation is operating McRae lumber.
0: right, and uh, Peter, you asked me to uh, give my vision, and my vision is quite simple. That the people in southern Ontario 20 years from now will be as familiar and love northern Ontario as much as I do.
6: Oh, here, here.
0: And on that note, I'd like to invite uh, Mr. Kevin Hallett, Executive Vice President of Air Canada, to give uh, some thank you remarks to our panelists. Thank you.
9: Well, first off, uh, thank you very much. Big thank you to the panelists and to everyone who participated in this forum today. It's particularly, I think, uh, relevant to this country, to this province, and certainly to uh, us at here Canada, that we understand some of the challenges, but more importantly, the opportunities that's associated with doing business in uh, northern Ontario. A terrific and strategic part of this country and this province that has such untapped potential, and certainly it became very obvious to anyone who was listening to the panelists here today. At Air Canada, we see that potential every day in Northern Ontario, and you may not realize it, but last year we flew close to three quarters of a million passengers to and from Northern Ontario cities into our global hub here in Toronto. And while we're coming, uh, just finished uh, the first quarter of this year, we see, we see those passenger numbers actually trending upwards. We've got 31 daily flights every day into the region of northern Ontario. That totals over 400 flights a week, and we've got a huge investment in the north, and we see our investment actually growing in northern Ontario. Now, I think as you heard from some of our panelists this morning, And improving business climate will drive new business and will drive jobs. And the need for the North to be able to reliably and and, uh, competitively connect to the rest of the country and, more importantly, to the rest of the world. An efficient and a competitive air service, I don't think anyone will doubt, is a proven economic enabler for any community and Northern Ontario is no exception. Northern Ontario has a real strategic advantage given its proximity to our global hub here in Toronto. Air Canada and its network offers communities and businesses throughout Northern Ontario an incredible value proposition by being able to connect passengers and goods and facilitate trade with over 200 destinations within this country and around the world within one stop. So if I live in Timmins, Ontario, I'm one stop from Hong Kong, I'm one stop from Frankfurt, or I'm one stop from New York. And that is a huge strategic advantage and a huge economic enabler as you set out to harvest the bountiful resources that the northern part of this province has had. As well, this is a tool available to few regions around the world, and this is both to your benefit and to the benefit, obviously, of us here at Air Canada. Air transportation offers an incredible ability to increase economic development, and as long standing partners with communities and companies in Northern Ontario, we certainly hope to be able to continue to work with the province and with Northern Ontario. To identify new opportunities throughout the region and to really unlock the potential this wonderful section of the country and the province has to offer. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much, Kevin. Uh, and uh, thank you very much for your sponsorships. That's the best draw prize we ever had. And uh, Air Canada was also responsible for uh, flying down many of our guests. Uh, and we thank you for that. Um, somebody's
7: taking my speech.
0: Somebody's taking your speech. Actually, you've got your speech or my speech or That's one all right. of our. I, I, one think of our sp-
5: I, I think I know.
0: Th- think you know what to say? Yeah. I think you know Ladies what to say. Ladies and
5: gentlemen, it's our time to thank our sponsors, uh, Air Canada and Campbell Strategies. And thank you all for coming. Thank you very much, panelists. It was an extraordinary lunch and very interesting. We thank you all for joining us today. Please join us again at another Empire Club event. You'll see uh, future events described on the pamphlets on your table. We'd love to see you again, and thank you all for coming.